Okay, so I wanted to say that I wanted to dedicate this year um, to the Le'ilu'i uh, Nishvat, Rabbi Gershon Edelstein. Uh, we had a very big loss today. Uh, a very big tzaddik. It was uh, Rosh Hashiva Padovich. And um, just like one thought that I, you know, that stuck with me so much is that when the, the uh, protests were heading for uh, B'nai Brak a few weeks ago, and they were very hostile and uh, out to make trouble. So, um, so he told people B'nai Brak to greet them with food, refreshments, and they came out. It was, it was very inspiring to, to see how he met the hostility with, um, to me, that was very inspiring. We should uh, um, we should be zochet to have uh, you know uh, the great leaders, and uh, but we mourn the loss. It was a very great loss. Bezrat Hashem, tovot. Okay. Last week we did Parak Dalit. Parak Dalit was a definite uh, downer. <laughs> the destruction of the Mishkan and Shiloh, which is only hinted out of the text, and um, the taking of the Ark captive, you know, the aftermath of the two battles, the one with 4,000 people killed, and then the next with 30,000 people killed, and then the Two sons of Ailey dying and you know, capture of the Arod. Tremendous catastrophes at the battlefield. And then later, when they come back home, Ailey hears this terrible news and he falls backward and he dies. And then his daughter-in-law also dies, giving birth to this, you know, very uh, unfortunately named Ikabod. So we're left on the on the Israeli side, the Jewish side, with this like image of, you know, a very, very, very sad time and a very big downer. At this point in time, Perak Hay comes in and we, we move our observation to the other side. And that is the side of the Philistines who took the Ark. And here the tone changes and um, we find some very interesting stuff going on. So I'm gonna screen share. So we can see the text. So chapter 12, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter five has 12 sukim. It is a very short peric. However, it is full of interesting stuff. Okay, so we look always first at this edition because it divides the peric. You see, sukim aleph to hay is one unit and sukim vav to yudbed is two units. Basically, the peric is divided into Hashem versus the Plishti God, and then Hashem versus the Plishti people. That's basically where we're, those are the those are the teams that are that are uh, set up here. Okay, so let's take a look at the map first. Here, okay, so here's Shiloh on our map. You can see Shiloh is right in the heartland of Samaria of Shomron. The battle, the ark is, takes, is taken from here and brought to the battlefield 
at Eben Ezer, which is sort of ironic because this is not a place where Hashem helped, the Rock of Our Help, and Afek. And the Plishtim winning take the Ark and they bring it down to Ashdod. So just before we start, I want to just talk a little bit about the Plishtim. I think we talked about them a lot when we did Shimshon, but some people might not have been when we learned Shimshon. The Plishtim come over, this is the Mediterranean, Yamagadol, Yamatichon, the Mediterranean, which is the middle of the earth in Latin, and the Tichon, which is middle in Hebrew. And they are basically a type of Greek-like people. So whatever you know of in terms of the Greeks, <clears throat> that's a similar type, belligerent, warlike, polytheistic, pagan, extremely immoral. And we, we see like the first wave of Plishtim in, in the beginning of the Chumash. We have um, uh, the time of Abraham, the time of Yitzchak. We see the Plishtim and there's the king who's called Abimelech and it's called Gerar, which is probably a little bit further north than our Plishtim here. But the, these are the five Plishti cities at this time, and we saw them in, in Sefer Shoftim chapter three, and then in chapters 13 to 16 with Shimshon, and they have five principal cities, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Aza, which today is Gaza, Ekron, and Gat. And <clears throat> they have a different sort of government than most of uh, the people that time. They don't have a king. They have a confederation of five Sarnim, Seren, is the name of the Plishti governor, Samakration, and it's a, a uh, rank in the Israeli um, army. And the five Sarnim, each one is in charge of their city and its area. And they get together to make decisions and do things together. This is, this is why um, we'll find later on that they react, although they are struck somewhat in the, in the same way that Paro is struck, there's less ego involved. Paro is just, you know, it's, it's hard for him to admit that he's wrong. He considers himself God. But here we have five people, so the ego aspect is less. We'll, we'll see that later on. In any event, go to the beginning of the Perak, Pasuk Aleph. Well, Plishtim lakhu with Aron HaElokim ba'yibay uhu me'evan ha'ezer ashtod. And the Plishtim took the Ark of God and they brought it from Evan Ezer, where the battle was, to Ashdod. So that's the first thing. Now, um, question, why did they bring it to Ashdod? And what's the point of this? And what's going on? We'll look at Pasuk Bed and then we'll try to figure it out. Pasuk Bed, who pushed him at Daron HaElokim, by Yaviroto Beit Dagon, by Yatsigroto Eitzel Dagon. And the Pushtim took the Ark of God and they brought it to the house of Dagon and they set it up next to Dagon. And here we have a strange situation because they take the Ark of Hashem and they put it in the Temple of Dagon. Now we saw the Temple of Dagon back in Shoftim, here if you see, right? When Shimshon is captured, right? By Sarnay Plishtim Ne'esfu, this is Tetzayin and Pasuk Chaf Gimel. The Plishti officers gathered to make a great sacrifice for Dagon, their god, Ulusimcha, and rejoicing because they had captured Shimshon. So let's talk about Dagon a little bit. Dagon is the name of their, their god, Dagon. So you might think, what does it come from? It might be Dagon, because that would be grain, god of grain. But Rashi puts it this way, 
Demut Asui Kidmut Dag. It looked like a fish. And Dag, Dag also works, Dagan works, but the, the, the Mepharshim seemed to, see, seemed to say that Dagon was a fish god. And Radak, I don't have Radak in this section. I have to always go to a different thing. Here's right over here in a later passage, um, Radak says, they say that Dagon from his navel and down was in the shape of a fish. That's why he was called Dagon. Okay, we're going to see his proof for that a little bit later. He says Dagon was essentially a merman. <laughs> the top half of Dagon was human and the bottom was a fish. So this is who they worship. And they take the Aron and they put it in the temple of Dagon. So now the question is, what is their intention with regard to the Aron? Why are they bringing it into the temple of Dagon? There's a, um, okay. The Malvin brings a message. It's hard for me to find this message on the internet, but the Malvin brings it, right? And it's right here. So the Medrash says that they were intention was to honor the ark. Amru. You know what? You know, we're polythe polytheists, like we don't really care. Like all gods are good. Let's put all the gods together. They they have no uh no problem with the other God. Uh, but Reish Lakish, Rabbi Shivam and Lakish, you know, Rabbi Yochan and Reish Lakish are always disagreeing. Reish Lakish, Amar Kach, yes, Haro. If that's the case, if their intention is to honor the ark, why would they get zapped? They are going to get massively zapped. So why would God zap them in that way if their intention was to honor? It cannot be. Amar, Ratzal Omar, Madu and Enshu, Ella, that's, that's the Malvin's comment, this is the victor. This is the vanquished. Let the vanquished serve the victor. Okay, so Reish Lakish does not buy it. He says, no, no, no. Their intention is to degrade the Aron, to make it, you know, a, a trophy. Now, the, the Das Mikra has a whole discussion, thinks that both things can be true at the same time. But in any event, this is not a place where the Amor Elohim is supposed to be. And this is not, uh, you know, the right attitude. That Sofrim says they were gloating, in a word. They were gloating. They were like, ha ha, we got you. Basikimo. So that's where they left it. Now, according to the Malbim, they put it they put it next to the goal. So this, this, you have to have this sort of picture in your mind. There's a temple, there's like a square room or a rectangular room. At the far end is this fish man, the, the merman, and somewhere nearby is the Aronalokim, Pasakim. It's actually a very fascinating story. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know, you need a little bit of a light point after Parathalin was a bit of a downer. And, you know, 
I mean, because we're not pushed him so we can laugh at them a little bit. I'll show you that in a second. The Ashtodim get up early in the morning and the Hine, now the Hine, Hine in the Tanakh always indicates some sort of surprise. Behold, Dagon was falling before it on, uh, uh, to the ground on its face, Lefnei Amon Hashem, and it's falling before the Ark of God. So the mob has whole discussion here, right? Amdu Lutzad Shekinegen HaPetach. Next, they stood, this is a loose translation of the Malbim. They stood next to each other facing the entrance. And if it would fall, you know, coincidentally, it would fall face forward toward the, oh, the entrance of the temple, not before the ark that was standing next to it. And if it would fall before the ark, it was necessary that it would fall on its side. But it actually, there is some, it's a total miracle. The way that our own, the way the Dagon fell was a total miracle. It actually looks like it's bowing down to the ark and it's completely, it's not a mikret. It didn't like topple. It didn't go to the side, it didn't go to the other side. It turned completely around and bowed down to the ark, right? So um, here, by Yechuit Dagon, by Yeshivo told him for more. So what's their reaction? What's their reaction? They put it back. So what does that tell us? That tells us they're not getting it. They're not getting it. And if you notice the name of Hashem here, Pasuk Alvin, Pasuk Babe, Aron Elohim, that's Din. Pasuk Bet, Aron Elohim, that's Din. Pasuk Gimel, this is Aron Hashem. This is the mercy of a Kaddish Baruch We must never, ever forget that Hashem, Hashem's mercy is always. He has pity even for, my, my sister's pity even for Puba. <laughs> I have a joke. Okay, they, Hashem is pity even on the Ashdodim, right? And the Ashdodim don't get it, don't get it. So this is a famous expression in English. There are none so blind as those who will not see. This is attributed to many people, but it really goes back to Yirmiyahu. I'll show you. Yirmiyahu says, Listen to me, you people who are foolish without understanding. And here it's, it's, we've seen this kind of phraseology about idols, but not, this is about people. Yirmiyahu says people is something very similar to Shia also. People see and they don't understand. They hear and they don't follow. If you see a miracle in front of you, what should be your reaction? Oh, this is like the God of the Jews is winning here. And they simply pick it up and put it back. And the Malvim says here, if it actually had just fallen over, Hayalahem, right? Nafal Kedarko, if it stopped falling, Hayalahem Lomar, Hayalu Lomar, Hayikimu, they picked it up. They didn't pick, they put it back in its place, which indicates that they had no idea what they're dealing with. And this is a, a big makah. So let's go on. Okay, the next day, right now, now Hashem is getting annoyed, right? No more Mr. Nice Guy. Again, an element of surprise. This is a repeat, okay? But ushte kapot yadav kruto tel hamiftan rak dagon nishar alav. 
and his head, the head of Dagon, and the two hands were cut off at the threshold. Only Dagon remains upon him. Now, if you remember the Radak that I showed you, this is Radak's proof that it's a merman, because here he says, Zeu pirusha rak Dagon nishar alav. This is the meaning of only Dagon was left upon it. The only thing standing on the pedestal was the, uh, it wasn't on the pedestal, it was on the floor bowing towards the ark, but the only thing left in one piece was the fish part, right? In other words, the, the hand, the top half, the torso, which was the, the man part of the merman, that was cut off the hands of the head, they were on the miftan, on the threshold. Now, when, when you see this, okay, well, put yourself in the, in the place of a plishti for a minute. When you see this, okay, you could say that it just fell in a very peculiar way the first day. And okay, mikreh zayalanu, it was just a mikreh. But when you see, I mean, it, it sort of reminds us of the midrashim of Abraham, you know, when he like bashes all the idols and then he puts a, a hammer in the hand of the big one. He says, he, the big one fought, you know, bashed all the other one. You see that this ark is sitting there, the merman is in pieces, and the hands and the, and the head are on the threshold. So let's just try to analyze what's, what's the symbolism of the head and the hands. So we have precedence for this, you know, in Sefer Shoftim, right? In Sefer Shoftim, when Gidon is chasing the Midianites, so the Bnei Ephraim bring him the head of Rosh, Rosh Zeb and Ore, the heads of Oreb and Zeb, the two. Um, Midianite officers. And also, right, David cuts off Goliath's head. You see a lot of the head cutting off, very unpleasant, but it's definitely a sign of victory. And you also have an interesting reference to the hands. If anyone remembers when we did Shoftim in chapter Chet, when uh, Gidon is chasing after Zebachot Salmuna, he's going on the way to Karkor and he comes to Sukkot and Penuel, these two rebellious towns. And they say to him, have you got the hands of Zebach and Salmuna? Have you captured their hands that we will help you? In other words, capturing the hands and taking off the head are symbols of victory. So if any objective observer who is not so blind, who does not see, who looks at this scene says, wow, you know, our own wins. What is Hashem's objective here? What does Hashem want them to understand? Okay, and, and this is the first thing that we have to understand. Like this, God is not playing games with these people. There's, a, there's an objective here. And the two first incidents, which we'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue in Pasuk Bab, right? The two first incidents, God takes revenge and punishes the Philistine God. And this follows a pattern because HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Mitzrayim as well, he first takes uh, Nekama, punishes the Egyptian god, which is the sheep, and the Jews take the sheep for a karbat, and then comes the final blow with the Egyptians. So that's, that's sort of a pattern that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That he, he takes revenge upon the god first. And this is just the beginning. And that's actually what we see where it says, um, Amon Hashem. This is still God's mercy. God is very merciful, right? But what's the point of all this, right? The Malbim says this shows Hashem won, right? Nes kaful, he says, the Malbim, 
היה זה לבל יטעו שהיה מלחמה בינו ובין אהרון. They shouldn't think that there was some kind of battle, right? זה מראה שתחילה נפרץ מעצמו, כאילו אחרי שנפרץ מעצמו קרה ונפל. As if to show them that first the head and hands are cut off and then it, it was bowing down. It's a complete miracle and you have to recognize that. So what's the point of it? Right? <clears throat> Hashem has mercy on everything, on everyone, but here they have to get the, get, get the memo. Get the memo. What's the memo? Give the ark back. It doesn't belong to you. It's not supposed to be here. Give it back. That's the memo. But they don't get the memo. And in fact, you know, Pasuk Hay is just like Yon. Therefore, the Kohenim of Dagon, and anyone who comes to the Temple of Dagon would not put their feet on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod until this very day. Until this very day is expression, meaning until the book was written, but this became a thing and it became a big thing. And probably till today we have like these little children's things, you know, like don't step on the crack because, you know, who knows what else. All the things that come from there probably come from here. And you have the most paradoxical, ridiculous, stupid reaction. Instead of saying, wow, Dagon is just a piece of rock in a funny shape, they say, oh, now the threshold is also holy. Uh, you know, you just can't argue with like, you know, stupidity. It's, it's, it's bananas, you know, it's really bananas. And you know, in all the tale where it says like, you know, they're talking about the idols, right? The are on the floor, there's Naim on the floor, the Aps on the floor, the The whole thing is powerless to begin with. And now it's even more powerless and you make it holy. So let me show you here. There's a few things I want to show you. First of all, the Gemara and Megillah says, Rav Nachman says, you're not allowed to make fun of things. You're not allowed to make fun of people. You're not allowed to make fun of anything, except you're allowed to make fun of Avodah So interesting. <laughs> you know, it sounds so interesting, right? And how do they prove that? This is Yeshaya, right? Mem Vav. Okay, I'll show you that because I thought that was also fun to look at. Okay, oh, wait a second. Here. Kara Baal, Pasigalov, Kara Baal, Baal squats, like kneels, right? Navo, no, Kares Navo. Navo gets dirty. Now, these are two idols. And so Rashi says, This is kind of gross, I'm just warning you. You have been warned, right? Here, you could look at the English. The deities of Babylon squatted and soiled themselves. This is an expression of ridicule of the idols, like one who suffers from diarrhea and does not manage to sit down on the seat in the privy before he discharges with a splash. Ouch. I told you it was creepy. Okay. So now, if Yeshaya can make fun of idols, right? So that that that's where the Chazal say you have you have the ability to make fun of idols, and we see that that God does this, you know, in, in other places. You know, you have the um, 
it's it's very interesting. I heard a very interesting explanation of the idol of Baal Zabur. So you know, there's lots of Baals, and the Baals have different names. There's you know Baal Peor in the Chumash. There's all different Baal, Baal this, Baal that, and there's something called Baal Zabur. Baal Zabur became in the language in English Beelzebub, which is like a Christian expression for Satan. So Lord of the Flies. So everyone knows that's where the book comes from, Beelzebub. So I heard an interesting explanation that the name of the idol was not really Balzabu. Who would worship an idol named Lord of the Flies? And it really was supposed to be Balzabul. And Zabul is like a um, high place, like Zabul Beit Sefartenu. But the, the Torah, the Navi, makes fun of Balzabul and calls him Balzabul. It's a very, very fascinating thing, I thought. In the meantime, the Rashi, not Rashi, I think Radak. Okay, yeah, Radak is in here. Radak on this Pasuk shows you something interesting. Lo Yidrufu. Bidrash Rabbi Yirmiya Bishem Shmuel Bar Rabbi Yitzchak, Matsim Shech Miri Sreya Babot Salim and Notim Um Saolo. The Umas Alam Ktiv, Akin Lo Yidrufu, Abal Bisrael Ktiv, Kaditi Al, Adaleo Niftan, Kafats. Okay, so what is he talking about? He's talking about here a Pasuk in Spania. Okay, <coughs> this is Spania. This is the nevuah that Tzvanya gives that God is going to punish all the idol worshippers. I will remember those who leap over the threshold. And if you look here, they, they give you, this is really, this is nice. This is a Chabad site. I will visit upon everyone who leaps over the threshold a Philistine idolatrous practice. And those who fill the houses of the masses with violence and deceit, right? This is from the Targum who follows the customs of the Philistines who would not step on the threshold of Dagon, as it is stated, therefore, In other words, what happens over the course of time, you know, Jews are always machmir. It's very sad that the Kohanim of Dagon would step over the threshold and not to step on this holy threshold. But the Jews, when they worship the Bodhisattva, they would like jump over the threshold. So they would machmir in the Bodhisattva. And this angers God and he complains about it to the, uh, to the people through the Navi. Now, so we have a little bit of a lesson there. You're not allowed to make fun of everything except for Bodhisattva. So there you go. Now you have a head to make fun of Bodhisattva. Okay. So meantime, God sees that this is not working. So he starts attacking the people themselves. Pasuk Bab. And God's hand became heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he made them desolate. Ba'afalim is the Ketiv, I'm sorry, it's the, yeah, it's the Ketiv, and Chorim is the Kri, like that, right? It's Ashdod Bet Guleha. No, I'm getting that wrong. I need to look at a proper text. moment. This is consistent throughout. There's a two names for this terrible zoo. Yeah, Torim is written. No, Torim is read and Afalim is Ketiv. So what are these two things? Okay, so basically Torim are hemorrhoids. Okay, just a lovely kind of disease that's, um, you know, nasty, nasty, nasty. Okay, now what are Afolim? So Ophel, so the Russian describe it, explain this. First of all, Torim is in the shape of rodents. So and it's another expression for a mouse. So hold on to your hats, girls. This is gonna get very ugly. Very ugly, very fast. Anyway, the 
Afolim part is like, Ophel is like a high place. So I, I would render that Afolim is a euphemism, what we would call today piles, right? That is an euphemism for hemorrhoids. Now, I have to say that I am not laughing because it's, it's fun, because anyone who's suffered from hemorrhoids knows this is a really nasty, unpleasant condition. It's common in people who, are, who sit too much, who have too much constipation. It's common in pregnant women. I wish that all of you should never ever experience it. And if you have, that you should never experience it again because it's really nasty. It's basically varicose veins of the anus. And when they protrude, it's very unpleasant. Now, Rashi says that's not actually the whole situation. Rashi says, this is an infiltration of the rectum. Okay. I'm sorry, it's really nasty. I'm just warning you. Makata nekev, a plague of the rectum. Achbarim nichnasim b'nikvehem. Mice would enter into their intestines, into their orifices, the shomti b'nimeim, and pull out pieces of their intestines and go out. I warned you. I did warn you. It's really disgusting. Yeah. So they, you know, they didn't have bathrooms inside. They had outhouses, and they were attacked by rodents in the outhouses. So you can imagine. They made them desolate. This is not a fun situation. Now, if you recall back in chapter four, um, so the, the Radak brings the, the Medrash over there when the Plishtim see the Aron. So a lot of the Plishtim say, oh, who's going to save this great God, right? And um, it's worth looking at the Pasuk for a second. Here. Who will save us from this great God? They freak out when they see their own. This is the God who struck Mitzrayim with all those Marcus in the desert. So the Radak brings the Medrash here, the Devray Rabbit saying, it was mix up. I think I showed you this last week. The good guy said, oh no, the Jewish God is powerful. The bad guy said, right? The people who were rotten Philistines, the bad ones said, oh, that Jewish God, don't be nervous. He's the one who used up 10 plagues on the Egyptians. He used up the rest of his plague on his own people in the desert. He's out of plagues. Now I have to submit that was probably the stupidest thing anyone ever said. You think God can't come up with a new plague for you? Oh, and, and such a doozy, right? This is still the Radak in Paragdalek. You think I don't have anything left in my arsenal? I'm bringing something new we never had before. And then it starts going into all the nasty you know, my stuff. Okay, back to our pair, right? So we had this nasty thing, and this is still Yad Hashem. This is still mercy, right? And they are so miserable. Pasuk Zayin. Vayiru anshei ashto kikain, v'amru, lo yeshev amore lokei israeli manu, kishkashto yadaro aleinu ba'al dagon elohenu. Can you imagine? They still believe in dagon after all this. The people of Ashdod saw kikain. Now, it's such an interesting question that you, Rauki Kane, what does it mean in Rauki Kane? They figured it out. It's like 
funny to me, they, people got the memo. Give the ark back. That's the memo. Doesn't belong to you. It's not right. Give it back. So the people said, it's all about the ark. We do not want the ark of the God of Israel. Now they, this is the ark of the God of Israel. They understand. Lo his hand is hard on us. I should say, right? And they're still worried about Dagon. Okay, so this is really a very interesting situation because the people are like, we get it, we get it, we got to give back the ark. Okay, so what do they do? And this is their first mistake. And they called all the Plishti officers to them. And this is when you got to bring in the government, right? And all these five Plishti governors come. What are we going to do with the Ark of the God of Israel? The Ark of the God of Israel will bring it around to God. And they brought it around. Now notice in this passage, Aaron Elke Israel once. Aaron Elke Israel twice. Aaron Elke Israel three times. Guys are getting that this is the Ark of the God of Israel. They are completely sure that this is what's going on. And now we have the just the government. It's always like that. You know, the unfortunately, this is one of the things you learn here. People get it. The government's sometimes the problem. You know, now we, they have this uh, plan, and the plan is to take it away from Ashdod. So, what's the purpose of that plan? I have this one second here. So here's Ashdod, here's Gat. So Gat is not actually the closest city to Ashdod. That might be Ashkelon or even Ekron. It's like far. And when it says he sold, it's, the, it, it's like an explanation of like going around. It's kind of traveling to Gat. So the Malbim says maybe they're thinking like this. We have to, you know, you have to understand that even though they're not one egomaniac like Paro, there's still a lot of pride and arrogance involved here. Sending the Ark back is an admission of failure. It's an admission of defeat. They don't want to do that. So the people don't really care. The people just don't want to have the, the hemorrhoids and the mice. But the government still is thinking about like their, their PR. So they're like, you know, what if we bring it to God? You know, maybe it's a mikre, maybe it's just a coincidence and maybe it's a contagious disease and we'll leave it behind in Ashdod, you know, and, and the Alshuk says maybe there's no temple of Dagon there. Maybe it's Dagon that's got God angry. Let's, let's just try something else. So that seems to be the plan. And they bring it to God. And it was when they brought it around, right? The hand of God was in the city, a great panic. Mahuma, in this sense, is a panic. He struck the men of the city from young to old. And he struck them with uh, internal. Hemorrhoids. Now, there's three new elements in the plague on Gat that we didn't have in Ashto. <clears throat> However, if you see, it doesn't particularly say that it's in Gat that we're talking about. It says, And later on, Mahari Kara makes the comment that one in, in Mitzrayim, every plague stopped before the next one started. They had time between the plagues to breathe, you know? 
here, every plague is just pour, piled on. And the city of Ashdod is just as badly struck, even though they sent away their own, they have no relief. So Ashdod is suffering and now God begins to suffer. And there's three additional elements to this plague. The first one is people are panicking. Now in the next Pasuk, right? Um, okay, it's not, oh, where is it? Here Rashi brings it. Okay, so basically, the the there's a pasuk. Excuse me a second. There's a pasuk in in a few chapters on in chapter seven, where it's Hashem says, uh, where the pasuk says Hashem thundered on the pushed him with a great voice, and he um, confused them. And that's like the, the Pusik which proves in other places in Mitzrayim, all over. That's the Pusik which's called Binyan Ab. That's sort of the daddy Pusik. And these are like the children's Pusik. And wherever it says panic, you know it's thunder. So on top of everything else, there's thunderstorms, there's panic, people are afraid, they're going crazy. And then that's one additional part. And then it's Mekaton Vagadol. Everyone is struck. Nobody is left alone. And the third element that's additional is that these are secret, but he's such and this is like across the board, everyone says, right? They would nistarim, yoter machibim, you're more painful, and rabag, yoter kasher refua, it's harder to treat, and all of this stuff, it's like um, it was worse, it was terrible. So all of the first of are in agreement that now the, in, the hemorrhoids are internal, the suffering is great, the people of, of um, Gat are just miserable. They don't know what to do. Pasikyun. But Yishalchu et Aron Helokim Ekro. And here you see a very interesting development. It says they sent the ark to Ekro. Now, over here, when the people of Ashdod want to get rid of it, they sent and they gathered all the sar and they pushed him. But the people of God, they don't care at this point. They don't need the government. They know exactly what to do. And that is send it away. And again, they, they got the memo. We have to get rid of it. We have to take, give it back. It is a hot potato. And they don't, they don't understand that it has to go back to the Jews. They don't get that. But they say, let's get it away from them. They send it to Ekro. Now back to our map, okay? Ekron is over here. They send it to Ekron. Now you're getting, as you see by the geography here, we're getting closer toward Jewish territory because here's Beit Shemesh, right across the road, so to speak, from Ekron. But Ekron, when they get the Aron, right? By he kivo Aron Elokim. This is persecuted. Ekron reis aku ha Ekronim lemor. He sabu elayet Aron elokes reel hamiteni et ami. And they sent the Ark of God to Ekron. And it was when the Ark of God, and now it's Elohim straight through. This is like judgment. They sent it to Ekron and the people of Ekron started crying out. They brought around the Ark of the God of Israel to kill me, to kill my people. And Matsuda says, what does it mean my people? The, the leaders are also screaming. This is, this is gonna kill us. This is gonna kill us. So we haven't actually had um, a discussion before of there being 
you know, death as a, as a result of these plagues, a lot of misery, but now we see that they've started to die from it. So it's not, it's just escalating and escalating and escalating, getting worse and worse and worse. And it feels sort of like, you know, making fun of the, can I show you that? No, there's no one I can show you. Ah, okay, that, I can show you that, forget it. If we have time, I'll show it to you. So they, they say that the God of the, the Ark of the God of Israel has to, is going to kill them. So everyone is making a very clear connection between their suffering and the Ark. And we still have the element of, you know, it's a trophy, it's a war trophy, it's very hard for them to let go of it. But the people of Ekron are crying out. They are, they're miserable. They said, it's going to kill us. Right? They, now they go back, they bring the government, because this is a government uh, decision that has to be taken. And they say, right, you know, send it away, send it back to its place. Now you notice that the people who are speaking know where the ark has to go. No more rolling around pushy land. Send it back to its place below It's killing us. We are going to die if we leave this thing here. Because the, the panic of death was in a whole city the hand of God was very strong there. And this is a very, very, um, uh, strong and, you know, what should we say? Like they, the people, and again, it's this conflict between the people and the government, the people know we have to send it back, send it back to the Jews. And the government says, well, not so fast. It's, it's very hard for them to deal with it. So before we go any further, we should start uh, trying to figure out, like, first of all, so we said that why is God doing this to them? And I think that it's very, we made this clear, that God is saying, give, give back my own to my people. The question is, and this is something that we have to think about, why does God strike them with this particular plague? Now, it's it's really quite horrible, and um, even though even though it doesn't say in the text that the rodents are involved in that we saw in Rashi, we'll see in the next chapter that there's definitely rodents involved. There's something extremely gruesome, nasty about this particular plague, beyond the pain and the suffering. But when you bring the rodents into it and all this sort of um, evil stuff, you know and like it's an interesting thing it's a really interesting thing because you know you could strike people in many places but we jews have we have a bracha we make the bracha shayotzar and anyone who doesn't take their bracha seriously you know the bracha shen they maybe never suffered from any kind of you know closing up or opening up of the different things we're talking about, right? Like, this is Maflila Sot. This is like an amazing thing. If we go back to the story 
of the first Plishtim where we saw in, in, uh, with Avraham and Sarah and Abimelech, one of the things Hashem does there is he closes up everything. And, you know, until Abimelech lets Sarah go, everyone is stopped up from whatever it is they want to do. It's, so this is like a very, very terrible plague. And the question is, what's the message that Hashem wants to give over to the, to the Plishtim? And what's the message the Jewish people are supposed to take from that as well? Because God is never talking just to the Philistines. So there's a few ideas that um, I've seen in the different commentaries that I wanted to raise. And the first one is, um, it's like an interesting thing that this particular disease is not one that people talk about. Like, you know, if you don't go to work one day and someone says, like, well, it was wrong. So someone will say, well, I had the flu. You can have the flu, but you're never going to say to someone, I had a hemorrhoid attack. <laughs> I'm not going to say that because it's an embarrassing, it's an embarrassing disease. It's a degrading and humiliating thing that the Plishtim are suffering. And I think that's the number one thing that we have to look at. The Plishtim here are really being humiliated. They're being humiliated because, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's not, it's not a fun thing. There's a lot of diseases that are not fun to talk, and we shouldn't want to talk about it. But in particular, this is like particularly like, you know, you know if you know someone who's never had this disease, they don't have no idea what you're talking about, and no one's going to tell them. That's why when I talk about it in the Navio, so this is never sit too long on the toilet. Sorry to be gross. It's not a good idea. Okay, I think Neely will agree with me. You have the, <laughs> you have a very degrading, demeaning, humiliating disease. So what's the mida kineged mida, right? The mida kineged mida is when you have people like the Philistines, the Plishtim, who are so arrogant, they take the iron. And because they're pagans, because they're pagans, their idea of taking their own is that they won God. They conquered God. And they go off with their trophy thinking they won over God. That is a very, you know, pagan concept. But God is breaking down their arrogance and their hubris by hitting them in a place that's so demeaning and humiliating. So that's one idea. Another idea is that really, what does the Ark represent? The Ark is usually kept inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. It's a very holy and hidden object. And therefore, the Plishtim taking it out and making a parade, like the Jews shouldn't have taken to the war either. That's another thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the fact that the Plishtim take it and parade it and put it in their temple is a lack of respect for God's hidden hidden um, you know treasures and therefore they're being struck in their hidden places and, uh, that would be a second idea and the third idea that i heard is also that um because they caused a um diminishing of god's presence they caused what we would call today hesterpanim they caused god to conceal himself so they're struck in their hidden places. These are a few of the ideas that I saw about the, the symbolism of being struck with hemorrhoids. 
<coughs> getting back to the choose. What's our takeaway from this? Our takeaway is that unfortunately, when we see this story, we see how the, the Philistines are mitzvahes, how they relate to this item of um, Jewish, you know, religion. They relate to it as a piece of, you know, like a, a any kind of idol, the idolatry, and the um, the unfortunate part about this is that the Jews' relationship to the Aron is not any different. <clears throat> so if we go back to Peretzalid. When the, when the Jews bring the, you know, the Israel bring the Aron to the battlefield, what do they say? It will come among us and it will save us. So in their minds, they've given the Ark the status of an idol and they treat it like that. And so in a certain sense, they're not any better than the Philistines. So while we can sit back and like laugh at how God, you know, makes fun of Dagon and how he punishes the Philistines for taking the Ark, um, yeah, like we're not in a much better position on the Jewish side and there's a lot of work to do. Okay, so let's look. Okay, let's finish it, Allah. And they sent, and they sent the people of Ekron and they gathered all the Sarnim of the Pushtim, the officers, and they said, the governor, <coughs> Send the ark of the God of Israel, and it will return to its place. It shall not kill me and my nation. Because there was a confusion of death in the whole city. The hands of God, this Midatadin there, was very, very severe. It was very hand. So the whole idea of the hand of God is an emphasis of the judgment. This is all din. You see Elohim here, everywhere is Elohim. There's no more Mr. Nice Guy. God is, is finished with that. They don't get it. And you know, because they don't get it, they have to keep on being struck. And this is one of the lessons that we should always learn, you know. You know, if if God forbid we have any troubles, we should do chuba right away and don't wait for more. It's really scary. Plus you get that. And the people that didn't die were struck with Torim. So this is really indicating Pasuket This is the last Pasuk in the, in the parak. This is really give, indicating that there's so many people dying. So many people are dying from, you know, the various manifestations of this plague. And the ones who didn't die were struck with the hemorrhoids. And the outcry of the city went up to God. They were crying out to God. You know, and again, you always have to see how the the people have one, you know, their one idea is like they are, they are so much more on target in the story than the government. That people are saying, look, you know, it's clear to us that you have to bring it back to its place, right? And they they crying out to God because they understand. Ain't no novado, there's just Hashem here, and Dagon is useless. Up, up back here. They're still worrying, right? In Pasuk Zion, in Ashto, they're saying, God is hard on us, he's hard on Dagon. And over here, there's like, Dagon isn't in the picture anymore. They said like, you know, the people who were, who didn't die were struck with Chorim and they cry out to God. And the unfortunate part is in the next, beginning of the next Perek, Pasuk Aleph, 
This sort of thing is going on for seven months. So there's on the side of the Philistines, death and panic, misery, it's judgment day, they're all suffering. And Hashem's mercy was ignored and his warnings were ignored. And now they're getting this, right? This terrible strike. On the other hand, right, this is going on for seven months. So what, our, our, our next question has to be, what's going on with the Jews? This is going on for seven months. How come, how come this can go on for seven months? And it's a very big tragedy here. Now the Malvim says, Everything that happened got, happened also in Akron, right? Those who didn't die were struck with the hemorrhoids and all of them were struck one way or another. And that's why they cried out to God to, to save them from their great misery. They're just, you know, they're just completely to schmetter. Okay, let me stop the screen share. There's a couple of messages there. There's chats. Questions? Um, I have some questions. <laughs> okay. I, I wrote them. I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. But I, I, question number one is okay. Considering that Dagan was a mermaid, <laughs> a merman, a merman. Does that mean because like in my kid's bathtub, I have like these mermaid toys? Is that something that I should not have? Because it's like, used to be idol worship. I don't know. Is it like a thing? I know it's a silly question, but it's not a silly question if it's an issue. Uh, like one of the things that I didn't get to show you, I forgot, is that there is this whole discussion also between Yoko and Rachel Lakish about, you know, are idols, like, at what point do idols lose the name of idols? Uh -huh. They're discussing, <coughs> the moment about this time, I had the source open. And show you at what point to do if a broken idol, okay, is a broken idol no longer have the name of idol? In other words, they're, they're talking about Dagon because Dagon right. lose the character of being a god. So, Rabbi Yochanan says he doesn't lose the character of being a god because you see, not only did they worship Dagon and continue to worship Dagon, but they worshiped the threshold where his pieces were. Mm -hmm. Lakish says, no, they're not worshiping the goat anymore. They're worshiping the threshold. So the goat is just pieces of rock. So it's a very, it's a very interesting discussion, but it's not conclusive. It's not conclusive. Uh -huh. And I don't think that anyone looks today at pictures of mermaids and thinks of idols. I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> From those types where you don't look at certain pictures. But there are certain, you know, certain things, like it's it's interesting that discussion of the Gemara is like if, if you would like to dig up, if you would dig up an idol from 2000 years ago, it would be, you know, problematic to worship it. But like we wouldn't because we don't have the Yitzhar anymore. But I, I would it be an issue to like would it be an issue to go to like museums where they have old statues? Oh, I think it's very interesting to go to museums and see the old statues. No, no. Like if you knew that people were worshiping it back in the day, is that something that you could go to a museum and then go see? Is it like the same thing as like walking into a church? Or is it because they're still practicing? I, I don't know. It's a very interesting question. I have to discuss it with my husband. 
I don't, I don't actually think going to a museum is like going to a church because mm -hmm. these are artifacts that are, you know, dug up for people to see what it used to be. There's mm -hmm. like a church is a place of worship. It, it wouldn't seem to me, in my humble opinion, it wouldn't seem to me to be a problem. To me. I mean, if you went into a temple of Buddha, that right, was, that would be an issue. But you know, a Bodhisattva is not so common today. You have to really, you know, look for it. There Thank are, God, it's not common. There is a Bodhisattva today. But it's not like then, you know. So the question is like that. I went to a Jesuit oh. university. You went to and what? there were. I went to a Jesuit university, and there were large statues in many buildings and I used to walk carefully to avoid the places where there were statues. I just remember like it's just a uh, you know <laughs> my sister's about my father the father my, home, my father was in holy name hospital and me little Israeli I didn't even notice it said holy name I thought holy land I mean, I walk in and oh, you everywhere, everywhere. It was quite shocking to me, little Israeli self. There was, there was, was one in his room, and I could not stand it when none of the nurses were looking. I took that little guy and I stuck him in the drawer. <laughs> I'm going to be in my father's room. No way. But I did put him back when my father went out of that room. I felt bad. I like stuck him back when it was like. I had a teacher who was a lapsed Catholic, and he used to put his he used to put his extra chalk behind the crucifix. So he would tell me, he says, "If I drop my chalk, don't bend down and get it for me." <laughs> I mean, it's good he can make a joke about it. Well, he was a lapsed Catholic. He did nothing he but make so jokes. serious about it. What is your next question? What does that mean that they're quite oh, so the next. The next question that I have was, did they, when you said that they cried out to Hashem, did they really cry out to Hashem? Or was it like, did they just cry out out of helplessness, but not to their God? I think that at a certain point, the people, and I, the, the sense that I got from the, the, from the text is the people really get that Hashem, they keep saying, I won't know the case real, I won't know the case real. And it's an amazing thing that you see this kind of respect for the Jewish God. It just came up recently in our last little war. There was this thing that was going around where they interviewed some terrorists who said, you know, their God is stopping our missiles. What does that even mean? If you think their God is in charge, what do you, and the person asked them in the interview, like, well, if you think their God is on, you know, on their side, why do you keep sending missiles? And so, sooner or later, their God is going to be mad at them and, and help us, which to me was like, Billam, Billam, that's what Billam says. If you trip these people up into being immoral, God will be angry with them and God will zap them for you. That's what he tells Balak. So they, they, get, they get that God is powerful and they get that God defends us. And it's, it's just amazing to me, in a certain sense, it's amazing to me how the non-Jews have so much more respect, in a way, than Jews. Jews kind of treat God kind of casually. Like it terrifies. And that it's, I feel like that's very terrifying because it's like, I think about this a lot. Like, I'm, like sometimes there's just so much injustice in the world 
right? And but it's like this perfect balance. Like if if Hashem intervened every time there was injustice, then we would all be dead. But it, 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 it wouldn't the world wouldn't work right because right. everything would be too obvious. You know. I have my current coworker when she works somewhere else. She Just asked one of her co uh Shane Dole Lewis. Okay. Um, she asked her one of her coworkers what she was doing over the weekend, and she said, "Oh, I'm making an idol." She, out of clay, she made an idol, and then at the end, they dissolve it in water and toss it out into the grass. What? Yeah, I mean, was a little, we're a, a little taken aback. What does she really mean, an idol, or she's just playing with Bustalina? She called it that. What's weird? It was, you know, I, I read an article with, I think it was, um, it was that, that uh, the OU rabbi, Rabbi Weinweb, who said he was in school with a girl who was like a real idol worshiper, and they, she was very religious, and he was very religious, and they would like take their praying breaks, and he would go find some place to dab mincha, and she would go take out her little idol, and um <clears throat> Yep, it was a portable god. It was. <laughs> I remember the article is quite striking. It was like, I mean, it was like very struck. This little idol worshiper that was like the only other from person in his class. <laughs> he would not. She would not. Only it was like, it was a bit mind blowing. Yeah. So it's it's not so common today, but I really think the Philistines knew who to address their cries to. I really think they did. I just don't think the government was in sync yet. So that we'll see in, in Parak Bob, how they get the government in sync. But then, then is the turn of the Jews to see if the Jews can learn how to behave. And that's not so. Thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. It's been fun. Mom. Yes, dear. I actually had like a deja vu from uh, Zadie teaching this class. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Those were days. Okay, ladies. Um, have a good evening. It's been fun. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Let's go. Bye bye.